0: This is The Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you.
1: I want you to open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter number 9. Uh, we're going to Luke chapter nine, and we're going to study from Luke chapter nine today. And for those of y'all who know uh, our system of studying here, we we love studying passages of Scripture, and uh, slowly we're making our way. We we're just getting done with our standalone messages. We took a break from the Gospel of Matthew that we've been doing, and we're going to continue that here in the next few weeks. But um, but I want to uh, I want to just kind of continue from where we left the Easter message off last week uh, because. I think it's important to, from time to time, for me as a pastor, to share what the vision of our church is. A lot of people ask me what the name Commission Church means, and it comes from the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where Jesus commissions his disciples and uh, the people that followed him, his followers, and says, go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations. So it's not only in the fact that we want people to be saved. We want saved people to become disciples of Jesus. Uh, every believer is not a disciple. Every believer is not a follower. It takes a special grit. It takes a special anointing for people to elevate themselves from a position of, I am, I am following Jesus, or I am, I am saying yes to Jesus, or I'm a believer in Christ Jesus, to saying, I am in pursuit of Jesus. And there's a lot of steps to that. Uh, but being a disciple of Jesus is more than being just a follower, or, or disciples are followers, but not all followers are disciples. It's in that category. The thing that, that, that separates them is the word commitment, right? It's the word commitment. Jesus actually uses two phrases in discipleship. One of the phrases is the phrase, follow me. He looks at his disciples and says, follow me. And then there's this other phrase that Jesus uses, says, come unto me. Both these phrases have its roots in this idea that Jesus wants people to pursue. wants wants people to go after him. This pursuit of God is so important. Have you ever been to a place where it was free entrance, but then it cost you a lot to, to go inside and then they just spent a lot. Have you ever been there? I I did that. Uh, It was in Abu Dhabi. uh, I think it was almost 10 years ago. And they, had, they were just, I was, I was staying there for a few months and a friend of mine came up to me and said, hey man, they just opened this bowling, uh, you know, this, this this place, this amazing bowling arena and we just, got, we gotta go and bowl. And I said, okay, cool. And they're like, they, they, they're doing a special, it's free entrance for everybody. Uh, and I'm like, it's gonna be mayhem. It's free, it's gonna be mayhem. And he's like, no, it's not gonna be much people. Let's just go. So it was free entrance, but as soon as we walked in, they wanted us to buy shoes right? They, want, they, wanted us to, they wanted us to make sure, not buy, but rent shoes. They wanted us to rent the socks. They wanted us to rent balls. They didn't have balls out there. So they were like, your group needs to pick how many balls and every ball we needed to pay for. And I'm like, really? Like we paid more than what we would have paid if we went to a regular bowling place. And, you know, and I'm like, what was the point of this? Anybody else been in a situation like that where they're like, come on, it's free. And then they're like, Never mind, You still have to pay. You know, the entrance fee into heaven is free, but the subscription will cost you everything. Have you been there before? Hulu, one month free. Just commit to paying for the next 11 months, right? You're bound. Or some of us just forget that we subscribed and the credit card just gets charged every month. And then month 13, you're like, what, what happened? Henry Drummond is actually the one that said, the entrance fee to heaven is free, but the subscription will cost you everything. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you everything. Jesus doesn't shy away from that. Jesus actually talks about that. And Luke chapter 9, we're going we're to go through the story of these three people that Jesus actually talks to about discipleship, about following him. So go with me to verse number 57 and we're going to read a few verses till verse 62 and then we'll talk about this for a little bit and then we'll pray and close, okay? Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. I'm reading from the ESV. And for those of you who don't have your Bibles, I hope you have your Bibles. But if, those, if, if you don't have your Bibles, we're not judging you. Just bring your Bibles next Sunday, okay? But we're, we're going to watch on the screen. We have the verses on the screen. And this is what the Bible says. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Verse 59, and another to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Verse 61, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord but let me first say farewell to those of my home. Verse 62, Jesus says to them, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus is going on his merry way. And in a few seconds, I'll tell you why, because in Luke chapter nine and verse 51, a few verses before the verse in 57, the Bible says this, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Okay, the time of his taking up has come and God, his father is leading him to Jerusalem to eventually get on the cross on Golgotha. We talked about that last week, but on the way there, on his journey there, he's being stopped by a group of people. And one person in this group of people, and the Bible actually talks about that later on. Uh, you know, he it, it talks about it in, in Matthew chapter eight and verse nineteen. The Bible says, A certain scribe said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. This is the guy that 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 it's it's actually talking about. Luke's Luke's account of this version of the story is basically him coming up to him and saying, Lord, I will go wherever you go. Jesus knew that his time to glorify his father by going to the cross was drawing near. So he is heading right to Jerusalem. His face is set on Jerusalem. His face is set on the cross. He has nothing to lose. So people are coming up to him and they're like, how do we follow you? And God, Jesus looks at them and says, man, you've got to abandon everything. He doesn't have anything to lose. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I'm, I repeat this over and over again because I want us to understand what Christian discipleship is. God never promised us a life of bed, a bed of roses. He never promised us a life full of, you know, like, like flowers and, and it was going to be all full of fragrance and, and niceties. No, that's not what God promised us. Jesus never leads anybody astray with his promises. On his way to the cross, Jesus meets these three men and the price tags that they have on them are pretty heavy. We're going to be talking about three price tags today. The three price tags of discipleship. Number one, the price tag, the first price tag was this, the price of personal sacrifice. Jesus meets this guy, or let's call him Mr. Too Soon. That was his excuse. His intentions were in the right place, like are the intentions of so many of us. He voluntarily says he will follow. It was his idea. Jesus didn't stop anybody. Jesus didn't stop in the way and voluntarily told him, he was stopped by, like Jesus was stopped by this man who says, yo. I want to follow you. So Jesus says, all right, you want to follow me? Let me give it to you. He was a scribe. He was somebody that wanted to follow him as a master. See, and and here's the thing, right? The Bible, like I said, the Bible actually talks about this guy. A a certain scribe said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. He calls him teacher. Now this is a, it's a matter of, 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 importance because we have to understand the rabbi student relationship. This. This man coming up to Jesus and saying, man, I want to follow you. Master, I want to follow you. Is basically, man, it was, it was handed to him on a plate. Jesus is actually looking for people to join his army of, of, of servants that will come and learn from him. Tutors that will learn from him. He's, this rabbi called Jesus is waiting to teach these people. And he is making this entrance and saying, man, I want to learn from you. It implies that he was ready and fully submitted to the rabbi's authority. He was prepared to be submitted to him every single day. And sometimes it's hard for our Western eyes to perceive this. Because if we look at it from the Eastern perspective, it was a win for Jesus. It was a win for someone to enroll in your school without any advertising. It was a win for him to, for someone to enroll and get, you know, say, hey, I'm going to be a, become, become a patron, but I don't see any reviews on Google. I, everyone wants to see reviews on Google. Yes or no? Before you go to a restaurant, you want to be like, let's see who has reviewed this, this restaurant. And if it doesn't have like a 4.2, no one's going. Yes, no, maybe. No one says, oh, it has a 2.2, but let's just give it a benefit of the doubt. Anybody ever done that? No. If you do, let me pray for you because, you know, there's something wrong in that equation. Everybody wants reviews. So Jesus is here, no reviews at all. And this man is coming up to him saying, man, sign me up. So it's a win situation for him, right? It was a win for someone to enroll, but Jesus responds and says, you want to enroll, let me tell you what the cost is. Not monetary cost, not money that you have to pay me, But let me tell you the cost. And he says, foxes have holes and birds birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He's like, man, I cannot promise you that there will be security. I cannot promise you that you will have a home to live in. I cannot promise you if you follow me that we will have food in our tummies. Like I cannot promise you that we will have an inn to stay. Like I cannot promise you anything. Are you okay with that? Are you sure you're ready to submit? Are you sure you're ready to submit to me? Are you ready to give up comfort? Are you ready to give up security? Are you ready to give up material comfort? See, Jesus isn't looking for groupies. He isn't looking for a group of people to just sing his praise and, and post reviews about him and say, oh yeah, this is Jesus. of no, no, that's not what he's looking for. He's not looking for fans. He's looking for disciples. He's looking for serious people that can be serious about this calling. I'm talking to a church today like we're not I trust me and I want you to hear my heart on this and I've said this from day one that we planted the church we're not looking to plant a large church like that's not the purpose of commission church I want us to know this it is we want to grow as a church don't get me wrong we want more people to come and understand the vision and the vision is always discipleship it's becoming ardent disciples and followers of Jesus Christ And that's what we're about to talk about because Jesus says, man, there's there's no earthly security associated with following me. Are you okay with that? It's Martin Luther who says this, a, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing, is worth nothing. Following Jesus can mean making sacrifices for the kingdom of God. And I see that day after day, The number of sacrifices people make when they follow Jesus. I see people in this church, the sacrifices they make in order to serve the Lord, in order to follow the kingdom, in order to make sure that the kingdom of God is preached, that the kingdom of God is enlarged. The Jesus model is a model of abandonment. The model that Paul talks to us in Philippians chapter number three and verse eight, where he says, man, indeed I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Someone say Lord. Lord. Y'all, when you know Jesus as Lord of your life, and we talked about this last Sunday, that's why I said it's a continuation. Because if you know him as your Lord, come on. Like this has to dramatically and drastically change. For anybody that says, Jesus is my Lord, you will not hesitate for a moment to count everything that you have, regardless of if it's good or bad, it is loss. Your multi-million dollar home is a loss. Come on, am I talking to somebody? The good clothes you have, your designer clothes, the fancy car you drive, the great kids that you've raised, all of them are a loss. In the eyes of God, because not that God is saying you don't need worldly pleasures, but if you count value in them, he says it's, it's going to be a huge loss. And that's what, that's what Paul is saying. Surpassing worth of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish. Someone say trash. He says, I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ like in some versions, it says it's dung. Do I need to tell you what dung is? I don't need to tell you what dung is. That's literally what he's saying is that's what I consider it. If, if apostle Paul had emojis back then, he would put the poop emoji on at the end of that verse. And he would say, that's what I consider everything I have. Here's a well-respected man. Here's a man that was at the feet of Gamaliel. Here's a man that was strained by the elite in society. Here's a man that had all of that going for him and yet he was willing to sacrifice. Like, what are the sacrifices that you're still holding back on? What are the sacrifices that you can make for the kingdom of God in pursuit of God, in following Jesus that you're just holding on to tightly? I've seen people here at church for the, cause of, for the cause of Christ, for the cause of one person to know Jesus, for them sacrificing sleep. I know people that give up sleep and give up days of rest and people that take vacation time from work to come and spend in the house of the Lord. And that could be something as as as, 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 as beautiful as doing, doing VBS decorations. And trust me, this is not VBS related. But I'm just saying, anything for the Lord that you do out of sacrifice does not Go unnoticed by God. My God is drawn to people that make sacrifices. But here's a man that says, man, that's, that's too soon. It's a, it's a too soon of a thing. Like, I don't know if I can do this, Lord. Cause he says, man, I, I don't know if I'm ready to sacrifice worldly pleasures, God. Mothers and fathers that, that let go of, of, of promotion opportunities to be at home with kids. That's a ministry to your family. That's a ministry to the Lord. Like, I admire parents that say, hey, you know what? I am going to stay home. And although I could go and work and admire, I admire the moms that, that say, you know, I can work. I, I, I probably have the, this desire to work, but I stay at home. And I want to make sure that my kids have an education and are brought up in a godly home. And we want parents that are there for kids. And voluntarily, I've seen parents that have stopped working. One parent in the relationship has stopped working. They've taken a pay cut to live a less luxurious life because they wanted Jesus to be at the center of their family. That's discipleship. That's discipleship. And you know what? You will see that in the fruit of their kids. You will see that as the kids grow up. They are people that love Jesus. They are people that follow Jesus with everything that they have. And I'm not dogging people that have that, that work too. My wife has a full-time job. I am not dogging people that have full-time jobs. Don't get me wrong. I am not telling, pe- telling you to stop working or quit your job, but I'm just saying that our sacrifice is made day after day after day. I talk about my wife a lot, the number of promotions that she has given up to just make sure that she has a work-from-home job so that she can be there for our kids and watch our kids grow up. The number of opportunities that she had to become a manager or a VP or whatever it is that she gave up so that she can have the flexibility of picking our kids up from school and being there to give them snacks when they come back from school. That's discipleship. I'm just not talking about being a church, church. I'm not talking about you just showing up to church or serving at church. Don't get me wrong. Discipleship goes in different levels. Like, 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 are you willing to pour your time and effort to follow the Lord? That's what we're talking about, Paul. Paul actually says that, man, he's putting away his popularity, his position, his prestige, his status. He considers them junk in comparison to knowing Christ. Am I there? I'm not there. Am I there? I'm far from there. I'm like, Paul, I want to be you, bro. I, I really want to be you. Like when I listen to those songs, Lord, take my life, consecrate me all for you and for your glory. Take my silver, take my gold. Haven't you heard all those songs? Like, like, Lord, I surrender all. Sometimes when it comes to those verses, I'm like, "Mm," I cringe because I'm like, do I really want to mean this? Refiners fire. Do I really mean that? all to Jesus, I surrender. Do I really mean that? See, when we bow down to the God of comfort and convenience, we will lose to the spirit of sacrifice and the spirit of self-denial. The gospel has never advanced on the wheels of wealth or personal comfort, church. Somebody asked me the other day, they were like, hey, where do you see a thirst? Is it You've done ministry all over the world. You've done ministry in Southeast Asia. You've done ministry in the Middle East. You've done ministry in South America. You've done ministry in North America. Where do you see the fire of God most? And you know what I told them? I'll tell you where I don't see the fire of God most. Right here. Because we don't have to fast and pray for survival. You don't. When I asked my friend Pastor Mike from Nigeria and say, man, why, does your, why, why do you have so much faith? Why? Like, like your faith is extraordinary, why? And he's like, Pastor, we have, to, we have to fast for to survive in our country. We have to pray to survive. So their level of, of faith is different. But for us, everything's, and I'm just, I'm just being, can I be honest? Can we be honest for a second? Like we're, we're very comfortable. The need for faith doesn't arise a lot, but a faith that's not tested is not not real faith at all, y'all. So when little issues come and go, when those ripples happen in our family, when our health problems come in, when our kids are threatened, man, oh Lord, what happened? You're coming closer to Jesus and you want to be closer, but if everything is going good and dandy, no, there's no sacrifice needed. Discipleship doesn't mean anything. But when the pressure of life comes crushing, crushing down and when it weighs down on you, man, suddenly you want to start being a disciple. That's not, that's not what discipleship is. If you look at the Moravian Missions movement, their fire was so deep and bright that they would actually sell themselves as slaves so that they could actually preach to other slaves. That was what discipleship and and sacrifice meant for them. Like imagine that for a second, selling themselves as slaves, becoming slaves so that other slaves might hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Who does that remind you of? Jesus. He became man. like, Like our comfort doesn't allow us to do that, church. It doesn't. It requires us to deny the flesh, embrace the cross. A.W. Tozer said this, a whole new generation of Christians believe that it's possible to accept Christ without forsaking the world. And that's not possible. It's not the equation at all. Cleaving on to Christ and accepting Christ means letting go and forsaking the world. Like this dark illusion of loving God and loving the world. It could be a good balance. Has to be eradicated from the minds of, of America's Christianity. God said love God and love people. Not God, love God and love the world. Those are two separate things. And if we don't understand the distinction, we run into this issue of loving the world so much that we just can't cleave on to God. Because if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And I need us to understand that, church. He has to be Lord of every part of your life. If you call him Lord, make sure that he is a part of every, like he's Lord of every part of your life. So I thank God for families that make discipleship decisions I told a family here that drove all the way from Mansfield this morning, they were the first ones to walk into the church. And I said, you drive the farthest, but you're here the earliest. That is discipleship, is consciously waking up early in the morning and dragging the kids out, no matter how old their kids are. To an infant child, to drag them out and say, no, church is important. We need to be in the house of the Lord today. Church, your kids are watching how you serve God. Your kids are watching what you do to serve God and how you serve God. Your kids are watching how you give to the Lord. Can I encourage somebody to do this today? I do this with Mikhail and Carissa sometimes. I wanna encourage you to encourage your kids. I wanna encourage you to encourage your kids to give, financially. Give them a dollar every Sunday and tell them to go and drop it into that offering box them how to give at this age. At this age. When they ask you why they're doing what they're doing, tell them about how God gave freely. Do you understand that discipleship is something that you and I are able to do every single day? When you buy a free meal for somebody, and when they ask you, why'd you do that? That is an opportunity for you to tell them how God gave freely. And because of that, the love of God compels me, is what Paul says. I've been compelled because I am loved. I am compelled to show the love of God to the world around me. Use every opportunity as an opportunity to disciple and make disciples. I see that week after week with our servant leaders who make sure they come in and they work so hard. When push comes to shove, what kind of disciples decisions are y'all making today? When I was preparing this message, I was like, Lord, I know that I'm not going to get amens all over the place. I know I'm not going to hear, Pastor, preach, Pastor, say that again, Pastor. I knew that this was going to be a sermon like that. But you know what? It's okay. <laughs> Thank you. But what are the questions we ask ourselves? What do we want from this life? What, do, what, what, is, what, what good is this for my family? What, is, what good is this for my career? But the actual question should be man, what will please God? Like, what do you want, Lord? What does your word say about this? Mr. Too Soon was never heard of again. That was it. Foxes have holes, but you're not? Oh, never mind. I don't think I'm ready for that commitment. I'll find another rabbi. Well, and then Jesus was 59. The Bible talks about the second guy and Jesus himself makes the initiative to look at this other guy around the corner and says, he says, follow me. And he said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. Quite interested, but check out his response. He says, yes, Lord, but not now. The time isn't right. He says, I would do it. I would. Anybody been there before where you ask somebody for help and they were like, I would love to help you out, but I'm sorry I'm not available. Anybody been there? I would have loved to be there at your birthday party, but I'm not going to be there. Your intentions are right. You want to be a disciple. And here's a funny thing, right? He calls him Lord. I'm going to talk about that in a second, but a father's burial is important in Jewish customs, in the the Jewish customs. So he says, let me wait till my father dies, then I will come and follow. So the father's not dead. So remember, it's not a, let me bury my father. It's not a, hey, my father's dead. I need to go bury him and come. It's a, I'm going to wait. I don't know when that's going to be. I don't know when the season's going to be right. I don't know if it's going to be next week. I don't know if it's going to be next month. I don't know if it's going to be next year. But when the season's right for me, I need you, see, discipleship is not a when the season's right for me, I will follow Jesus. I, I pray that we will understand this because if there is one disease in discipleship in America, it's that. It's a, I want to be a disciple in my own terms, in my own time, not what the word tells me to do. Come on, am I talking to somebody? Hmm. See, behind this request is this issue of delayed surrender. Point number two. See, the price of earthly pursuit. This is Mr. Too Slow. That's what he is. He's, I want to I be there, but you know what? I'll, I'll be there when I get there. I'll, I'll get there when I get there. It's just way too busy right now. See, behind the delayed surrender, there is this bigger ish- issue of the allegiance of heart. His request uncovers the issue of discipleship on my terms, not on God's terms, not what Jesus mandates. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Like if you're going to look at Matthew chapter five, verses 29 to 30, the Bible talks about that. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one part of your body than the whole body to go to hell. Like, how is this message any good for me to follow you, Jesus? Like, this does not want me to want me to leave everything and follow you. It's not a cut off your arm and I will make another one grow. No, it's a cut off your arm, period. Because it's causing you to stumble. Like, Jesus is stressing on the the willingness to pay the price on personal sacrifice. Like, how many of us want to serve Jesus but on our own own terms, though? Like, how many of us want to follow Jesus but it has to be in our own schedule, though? Like, don't get me wrong, like, Jesus is really using you know, allegorical language of it. He's using, you know, this, this language that, that teachers or rabbis would use back in the day where they don't literally mean what they say. Very metaphorically, he's speaking and he's saying, you know, don't just, uh, he's not saying, go and forget your father, go forget your mother. That's not what he's saying. He's not literally saying, gouge out your eye. That's not what Jesus is saying. But Jesus is saying, if you value all those things more than you value discipleship and following me, that's the, that's the, that's the price you're going to, that's the price you're willing to pay. And Jesus says, that's the problem. Let me move on. The third point is this, the price of persevering faith. In verse 61, he says this, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at home. It's a combination of one and two. Although all of these might sound very similar, first, let me do something else. It's not, you got me a hundred percent. I will follow you, but I need to say goodbye to family. See, in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37, the the Bible is talking about anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Like, is Jesus really saying, "Your, your family doesn't mean anything? No, he gave you that family. But he's saying, if you value them over following me, who needs to be the first and foremost in your life, there's a problem there. Like what Jesus is trying to say is your love for God should be unrivaled. It should be supreme. You know, the first problem of following Christ is this temptation of going back. And you know what he says? He says this, he says, but let me go back and say farewell to those at home. I'm going to say that again, the first problem of following Christ is the temptation of going back. Going back to your old ways. Going back to the old friends. Going back to the old way of doing things. You know those actions and those things that you do, do not go well with following Jesus. Yet those habits mean the world to you and you have to go back to that. And Jesus is saying you can't have that and this. So don't take it as a dad and mom thing. It could be anything. It could be those relationships. Like you're so tempted to go back into that ungodly relationship and God is pulling you back and saying, no, 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 it it has to be either me or, see, that's the kingdom of God. It's an either or equation. It's not an and-and equation. It's either me or that. It's either God or mammon. I can't keep going back. That's what Exodus chapter 16, worship team, you guys can get ready. Uh, John, you can get ready at least. And in and John chapter 16, and, sorry, Exodus chapter 16 in verse 3, the Bible says this, And the people of Israel said to them, would that, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you had brought us out of the wilderness to kill us in this whole assembly with hunger? In Exodus 17 and verse three, he says, but the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock and thirst? Like I get this discipleship thing, Moses. I get this thing of pursuing God and going to the promised land. I get this thing of milk and honey and, and good things in eternity. I get all this Moses, but it was better back there. So the tendency and the proclivities of us leaning back to the things that we were used to and Jesus is like, see, it's so easy. Comfort is there in the things that we're used to. And Jesus is like, sacrifice, discipleship involves sacrifice of the comfortable, of going back to what you're so used to, and what you're comfortable with. And for some of us, it's addiction. For some of us, it's friendships. For some of us, it's parental relationships. For some of us, it's people pleasing. I don't know what it is for you, but today, God's like, man, I, I can't do with that. In contrast, you know what Moses was? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 and 27. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he as seeing him who, that now, 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 blows my mind that there's this one person's equation that, that considers all of that rubbish and says, man, to pursue Christ, I'm willing to give it up. And I'm really trying to talk to somebody that needs to make some decisions, some conscious decisions about people in your life. Things in your life that you keep clinging on to that's, that's that's shaping your identity, that's shaping who you are as a person. And it's really not cohesive with discipleship. It's not really cohesive with following Christ. Like that person is somebody that you, like God does not recognize at all. Like here's a Moses that that by faith he was willing to, to lay everything aside, trusting in the unseen. He persevered by fixing his eyes on God. Three price tags. The price of personal sacrifice, the price of earthly pursuit, and the price of persevering faith. You know what the funny thing is? We don't hear from any one of these three immediately after that. So Jesus, I want to follow you. See, that the reason why this world will not hear about many of us Is because your intentions are great your intentions are great but your heart really did not fully understand what true discipleship really meant and remember this there are so many people that will not see heaven there are so many people that will not hear about the saving grace of Jesus Christ because you did not fulfill you part of discipleship your kids will not know what serving in church means your kids will not know what serving God means your kids will not know what giving to God means your kids will not know what what eternity means because you were never passionate about people that were lost You were not not willing to make sacrifices for the greater good of people around you that are perishing. I really want you to hear my heart on this church. Hmm. In 1904, there was this man called William Borden. He was an heir of the famous Borden Dairy Estate. Anybody know Borden Milks? He graduated from high school in Chicago. As a graduation gift, his parents sent him on a cruise around the world. While on this cruise, destination after destination, his eyes was opened, were opened into seeing the depravity and the need for Jesus in every country that he visited. And God began to open William's eyes and hearts to the masses of unsaved people around the world. And from, from one of these destinations, William wrote to his mother about his desire to be a missionary way before he came back home. He said, Mom, I feel like this is what I'm called to do in his final letter he wrote I know God is calling me to be a missionary and there was one friend who actually expressed amazement that William was actually throwing away his life by choosing to become a missionary because his future was bright he had money he had wealth he had a business opportunity that would have just fell fallen on his shoulders William returns home, he enrolls in Yale University where he was instrumental in starting a campus prayer and Bible study groups and evangelism initiatives. He works, he worked with the New Haven Ministry and founded Yale Hope Mission. It was Henry Wright, who was a professor at Yale, who said, it is my firm conviction that the Yale Hope Mission has done more to convince all classes of men at Yale of the power and practicability of Christianity to regenerate individuals and communities than any other force in the university. That's how powerful his ministry was. Young man, a very young man. While in school, William renounced his fortune he said, I don't want anything to do with a board and estates anymore. And he said, I want to be a missionary to the world. He opened his Bible after church one Sunday and on his Bible, the leaf of his, the front leaf of his Bible, he wrote these words, no reserves, no reserves. William wanted to trust. He wanted to live by faith and trust God for everything in his life. William soon became this volunteer, part of this volunteer movement in Nashville where he learned about the great number of Muslims in China and he felt that God wanted him to go to China where he hoped to do work with Muslims. So for the next four years he attends Yale University, he graduates from Yale University although he had, he had given up his, the business dreams that he had, turns down lucrative job opportunities. He renounces his opportunity to take over the multi-million dollar home family business. And he was determined to fulfill God's call to serve as a missionary. So four years after he wrote those first few words, he wrote, he opened that same leaf of the Bible and under the words, no reserves, he wrote the words, no retreats. He says, I have no reservation about following Jesus and serving Jesus. And I'm not going back. This is my final decision. William set sail for China on December 17th in 1912. He stopped in Egypt to study Arabic so that he would be better equipped to work with Muslims. While in Egypt, William contracted spinal meningitis. He died on April 9th, 1913 at the age 25, 25, he did not get to see China. He didn't finish learning Arabic, years of training, a promising future. William never made it to China. Charlie Campbell, one of William's college friends, received his Bible after his death. And when he opened it, he found what William had written on the flyleaf. And in addition to the words, no reserves and no retreats, In Egypt, he had jotted down one more phrase, and that phrase was the phrase, No regrets. Today in Cairo, along with many other missionaries, William Borden's tomb can be found behind a dusty alley in a cemetery that's filled with overgrown grass somewhere in Cairo. But here's the Here's the sad part of that story. In Egypt was many, many, many decades and years and centuries ago, was a king who many of us know very, very famously as King Tut. Tutakhamun was only 17 years old when he died. He was supposed to be one of the, the, the most aspiring kings that Egypt has ever seen a pharaoh like none other an accident caused him to fracture his thigh that became infected and ultimately fatal this king was buried with solid gold chariots thousands of gold artifacts his gold coffin was found within gold tombs within in gold tombs that were within gold tombs that were within gold tombs this burial site was filled with tons of gold The Egyptians believed in an afterlife, one where they would take their earthly treasures with them. But all the treasures intended for King Tut's eternal enjoyment stayed right where they will until Howard Carter discovered the burial chamber in 1922. They had not been touched more than thousands of years. See, I was struck by the contrast between these two graves because Borden's grave was obscure. It was dusty, hidden off by the back alley in a street, littered with garbage. And King Tut's tomb glittered with unimaginable wealth. Yet, these two young men, one who lived in opulence, called himself king, is in the misery of a Christless eternity. And the other... Who lived a modest life on earth, service to one true King, in abandonment of all worldly pleasures, is enjoying his eternal, everlasting reward in the presence of God. The funny thing is, it's a seven-minute drive in between these two tombs, are the remains of these two tombs. King Tuts is in a museum for everyone to see but the eternal glory that surrounds that. What about us? Can you stand up to your feet, church? Worship team, you guys can get ready to come up. What about us? Like this is like a desperate call for discipleship, y'all. Like I want y'all to hear this as like, like in this increasingly secularized idea of Christianity in this country. Like, I want you to hear my cry. I want you to hear my plea. In this America, that's, that's, man, compromised by shameless consumerism. I want you to hear my plea. Where everything is measured by, do I like this or do I not? Do I give this a good, like, how does this make me feel? Do I like this sermon? Do I not? Do I like worship today? Do I like, do I like the lights? Do I like the haze? Do I like the band? Do I like the instrumental? Like, do I like stuff? Like we're so engrossed in things like that, that I pray that we will repent for this shameless consumerism where it's all about what I want and ask God, God, what do you want? Like the cost of discipleship is high, but are you willing to pay the price? Can I share my heart with you? I turned 36 in one month. 36 years old. Some of you are like, what? I thought you were 50. I lost all my hair, but I'm still young. I started preaching at the age of 10, y'all. 10 years old. 10 years old. Haven't stopped since. In one month from today, I will be, not from today, but in one month's time, I will be, I will have been preaching for 26 years straight. Can you believe that? 26 years straight. I met with a pastor friend the other day. He's been preaching for 30 years and he's retiring soon. I've been an evangelist in this time. I've been a missionary and now a pastor. I became a pastor because God told Sonia and I so clearly that we ought to be pastors in this season. When I said, Lord, why another church in Plano? The word of the Lord was I need a life giving church that can fulfill my great commission. Not just a group of people that can just get together and worship, but people that will be disciples, make disciples and be disciples to the nations. And you know there's not one day that i wake up and spend time in prayer and i ask myself what legacy am i going to leave and guess what i have dreams and aspirations and i have vision you know for this church and the ministry of this church and i want to see a dream center in plano and i want to see a center where we can have the the ostracized and we can have the the addicts and we can have women and and all this stuff but dreams and aspirations that i have and and then trust me nothing involves a big building none of this involves a steeple none of this involves a physical none none of it it's great to have buildings are great and legacies are great and this program and that program and he did this and he did that and plaques are great and plaudits are great and medals are great but every single morning I wake up to the reality of me asking me am I leaving a legacy of raising up disciples of Jesus. He didn't say grow the church, he said go and make disciples of all nations. And if you and I cannot be disciples and if we cannot be disciplined to be disciples and if you cannot make sacrifices in order to follow the path of discipleship, if all we care about is feel-good messages and things that boost us and make us feel good, trust me, we are not fulfilling the Great Commission. And today, my voice, my plea, my cry is that we will repent and we will ask God to make us disciples who love God my question to you this morning is what legacy are you leaving behind for your family? What are you going to be known as? How can I be a disciple? Am I studying the Word? Am I studying the Word with my kids? Am I imitating Christ? Am I stopping to focus on people around me and am I I focusing on God? My eyes are on Jesus. What is discipleship? Am I filled with the Holy Spirit? What is discipleship? Am I praying? What is discipleship? Am I serving? Am I, am I, pray, am I investing my time in people? What is discipleship? Am I making other disciples? Am I sharing my faith actively? What is discipleship? Am I taking up my cross daily? What is discipleship? Am I walking in faith? What is discipleship? Am I making discipleship intentional for my family? Am I surrendering every day? Am I living out the great commission? That's what discipleship is as the worship team spends a few moments in worship here today I want us to just give it to the Lord I titled my message today Give Me Jesus He says do you want to follow me and they said yes conditions apply we'll follow you if this and if that and if that and if if you're there already and I admire so many people here that that makes sacrifices day after day and I see it and I admire you guys. I admire missionaries like Amy and David that go to places like Brazil and say hey I want to be missionaries in places where where my heart is locked. I admire people that, that cross oceans and I admire people that are missionaries where you are. I admire people that give to missions financially. I admire people that make sure that they bring their kids to church Sunday after Sunday. I admire you if you are making sure that you're doing everything in your capacity to follow Jesus and make Jesus known to the world around us. I admire you. But if you're standing there and you're like, man, I'm, I'm slacking. I don't know what my legacy is going to be. I don't know. I'm asking you. I know what I want my legacy to be. What do you want your legacy to be? And today we can start by saying, give me Jesus. Because if you can understand that Jesus wants to be Lord of your entire life, that could be revolutionary. That could be life changing. I just want to spend a few moments in worship and in prayer. Like I said, we have some dessert outside for, for, for the women that we will be celebrating in a bit, but I just want to spend a few moments in prayer and in worship. And I told the worship team to just lead us in a few minutes of worship, if that's okay, if you could just linger. If anybody needs prayers, if there's something that you're struggling with, something that you need someone to just agree with you in prayer for, I'm up here. If y'all want to come and uh, you just want to get prayed over, you want someone to agree with you in prayer, I'll be up here. Just come forward and let's just spend a few minutes of prayer, and I'll come back and I'll close up. And today am i doing everything in my ability to not only be a disciple to make disciples and that means i'm talking about your children are you leading them to a life in jesus are you telling them what salvation is all about are you teaching them what it means to follow christ through baptism are you teaching them what eternity is Are you allowing yourself to teach people around you? Are you telling your coworkers about why you have love and joy and peace? Are you telling them why you believe in God? Are you telling them why you have hope? You don't need to be theologically sound, y'all. You could be like, I don't know. Let me just tell you what I feel. Let me just tell you my experience. Let me just tell you what this God did for me. Y'all, disciple making is like that. Just going and telling somebody about what God did in your life. That's what Jesus told some of those people. It's like, just go tell people, go show people, go, go let people know. Today, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we will make a commitment, God. We don't want to be just another church. We want to be disciple makers, God. We want to be disciples. We want to be followers of Jesus that can create more of us. I pray, God, that the Great Commission will stay true to the vision of this church. And thank you for giving me the ability to share our vision one more time and to be able to reiterate what that vision truly means. I thank you, Lord, because we are a church that loves to follow you. Hearts abandoned. Reckless abandonment. No reservations. No retreat. All surrender to God. Father, here we are. We thank you. We praise you. Our glory and honor be unto you church. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance your direction. May he give you peace that passeth all understanding. In Jesus name we pray and everybody said amen.
0: Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.